Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready to talk sports with one of the leading sports journalists of today? Welcome to All Around Sports with John Inglesby. John's years of experience as a journalist has allowed him to net exclusive interviews with the top players, former players, commissioners, and owners. John and his guests are ready to give you the straight word when it comes to sports. Now, let's talk all around sports. Here's your host, John Inglesby. Voice America. Welcome to the 23rd ever show of All Around Sports, live from the City of Champions, Boston, Massachusetts. Reach Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, we will go all around the world of sports for one hour to discuss what happened this week and what's coming up for the weekend. Well, fall has officially arrived here in New England with a beautiful football weather, sunny day in the 60s. And to join the show, the call-in number is one 888 Three four six nine one four four, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net, which comes right through me, right to me through my website at www.iirsports.com. Well, as always, it was another wild week in sports, and as usual, I would discuss the highlights, lowlights, and bizarre news items that dominated this past week's news as well as take you inside of my event of the week that I attended, which was the beginning yesterday of Hall of Fame induction weekend for Drew Bledsoe and John Morris in the New England Patriots Hall of Fame. So getting right to it, my highlight of the week was the New England Patriots and Tom Brady's record-breaking victory over the Dolphins on Monday night. As the saying goes... They played a game with which we are not familiar. It was an absolutely awesome performance. Uh, I can truly say uh, I don't ever recall seeing a offense in hyper-overdrive like that uh, with the no-huddle offense uh, as QB12 took literally seemed to take football to the next level. Um, and it was, you know, in my mind, punctuating the new-look NFL uh, which was highlighted on Sunday, I thought, by uh, Cam Newton throwing for over 400 yards in a just spectacular debut in the NFL. So, welcome again to the uh, new offensive-minded NFL. And, boy, judging by the ratings, we're basically one-third of America. One out of every three Americans of all ages, from infants to elderly, were tuned into the NFL over the weekend. And on that note, let me just say that uh, I thought the NFL did an absolutely spectacular job with uh, their 9-11 commemorations uh, from New York 
to Washington, to Miami. It was just uh, done like only the NFL can do these things. So, but with every highlight, there's also a low light. And for me, this week's low light is ESPN commentator Teddy Bruschi's uh, creating controversy by blasting Chad Ochocinco and specifically Ocho's uh, tweet, which has gotten tremendous play uh, over the weekend, to put it mildly. The exact tweet was, was he basically said, uh, it was a wow performance. Um, his tweet was, just waking up after a late arrival. I've never seen a machine operate like that in person. To see video game numbers put up in person was wow. So obviously he wrote, tweeted that on Tuesday morning. And I'll be the first to say, like Teddy Bruschi said, it was it sounded like a fan uh, as opposed to a participant. And he was, uh, but it was such an extraordinary performance that I'm going to, you know, excuse Ocho Cinco's tweet. I thought it was just, uh, you know, literally excitement. It was his first game as a Patriot. He should have been a participant. Instead, he basically disappeared. And subconsciously up here, everybody is consciously or subconsciously nationwide and certainly in New England comparing this to Randy Moss's debut in 2007. But what a lot of people were forgetting is that Moss had the, he was traded for in the spring from the Raiders and he had the benefit of OTAs, mini camps. I know I was there. I was covering it for scout.com at the time. And Randy was just, you know, right there and he didn't do anything during training camp or preseason. Um, overly spectacular, disappeared, so to speak, himself, but then just burst, or should I say reburst, on the national scene with his debut against the Jets, which was just an absolutely spectacular performance. But I just think, uh, as far as Ocho Cinco goes, you know, is one game. Five games from now, if he is tweeting tweets like that and playing 18 plays with one catch and the Patriots are performing at or anywhere near the level they performed at Monday night, then uh, I may be tweeting myself uh, and criticizing him and uh, everybody will be teeing off on him. But I'm willing to give him a mulligan for the first game and I just thought, uh, uh, you know, let's take a wait-and-see attitude, give him a little time. And uh, and see what see what develops here. And uh, my bizarre sports story of the week was Manny Ramirez being arrested for a domestic dispute with his wife down in Florida. Uh, interestingly, it broke Monday night during and immediately after uh, the Patriots Dolphins game, and to a large degree, if you can believe it, it upstaged in many ways the. Uh, the Patriots, again, record-breaking performance. Um, it was the lead story on some local news channels above the Patriots. It was kind of running concurrent. They were sort of intertwined as in two sports stories leading the news. And uh, so, you know, it was just bizarre. But I think it's safe to say, given Manny's track record, uh, i.e. pushing down the traveling secretary who was in his 60s for the Red Sox, uh, 
getting in a fight with Kevin Euclid in the dugout. All this, of course, in his final year or two in Boston. I think it's safe to say that, uh, and then seeing some of the video and what have you, uh, that uh, Manny looks like maybe he has a bit of a mean streak. So we'll see what develops there. And uh, certainly the last two years or so, uh, Manny has not been covered in glory, to put it mildly. Now, on to my previously mentioned event of the week that I covered, which was the beginning yesterday of induction weekend for Drew Bledsoe and John Morris into the New England Patriots Hall of Fame. Uh, Let me just start off by saying that the Patriots that we know today as perhaps the marquee franchise in the NFL and one of the marquee franchises in all of sports, the Patriots would not be who they are today without three people, owner Bob Kraft, Bill Parcells, and Drew Bledsoe. I can truly say that, you know, uh, and I observed this yesterday up up close with Bledsoe, uh, the Hall of Fame induction could not happen to a nicer guy. Uh, he has made what I consider to be uh, one of the smoothest entries into retirement of any athlete that I've ever, ever seen. Uh, he's truly just comfortable in his own skin. He's gracious. He's friendly. He's relaxed, easygoing, and was extremely articulate yesterday, reflecting on his career. Uh, The specific uh, event that was going on was they were fitting him for his Hall of Fame jacket that he will get this weekend over in Foxborough. And and then after that, uh, and he after the fitting, he talked with the media, gave some great quotes, and then uh, and then he held what, what we'll call a town meeting with fans in the Hall of Patriots Hall of Fame auditorium, and the Patriots media relations staff uh, kindly invited me in to uh, to attend, and it was just absolutely terrific. Basically, it was an hour long Q and A with fans and. Bledsoe was absolutely terrific. Uh, you know, I can truly say he was a class act then, meaning in his playing days, and he's even more so now, which for me is a little bit hard to believe because uh, I first met Drew and his wife uh, in the suburban town of Medfield, Massachusetts. That's where I currently live and have for 12 years, and it's also where Drew Bledsoe lived when he played for the Patriots before he sold his house to, uh, to Kurt Schilling. And it was on a good Friday afternoon, um, and I stopped in the wine shop to uh, to get a little wine for Easter weekend, and I was at that time a Patriot season ticket holder. I bought the day after Parcells was hired back in, I believe, 93, and, you know, so I introduced myself to Drew and his wife, and... Uh, we chatted for literally 15, 20 minutes, and it was just as pleasant an experience as you could ever have. Six months later, I was at the Medfield High School traditional Thanksgiving Day football game, which up in New England, they start at 10 a.m. on Thanksgiving morning, again, again where arch rivals play each other. And Drew Bledsoe was there with uh, one or two of his sons leaning up against the fence, like we all do, checking out the high school game. And... I walked by, we caught each other's eye, he remembered me, and so we chatted for a few minutes that day. And then uh, 
yesterday he he recalled me immediately when I went up to him after the town meeting after every single fan, a couple hundred I'd say, uh, had gotten their autographs and photos with Drew, and uh, and he was just terrific. We had a, a wonderful meeting. So it's just incredible when I think back that we met in the Medfield Wine Shop, and as you may or may not know, Drew Bledsoe is now flourishing in the wine industry. He has his own uh, vineyard, and he sells a wine called it's called Double Back Wine, and uh, he is really making his mark in the wine industry, which is just no surprise to me, but terrific to see. Uh, anyway, when I was talking to Drew yesterday, uh, I have just written an interview I conducted uh, a few months back with Bill Parcells, and it's in Armchair General magazine. It's on their website at armchairgeneral, one word, dot com. And literally hot off the presses, arriving in newsstands this very week. And uh, Drew talked a lot about his relationship with Bill Parcells. Let's not forget, Bill Parcells' first ever pick was Drew Bledsoe, number one pick in the draft. And it was also Drew Bledsoe, or Bill Parcells, who brought Bledsoe to the Dallas Cowboys, where uh, they both ended their career. So Parcells and Bledsoe uh, were, were pretty tied at the hip. Uh, throughout their football careers, and uh, anyway, he was just terrific and very interested in anything having to do with Bill Parcells. He spoke very, very highly of him, needless to say, and I will just chime in here and just now and say that my interview with Bill Parcells, which is about 40 minutes, was just terrific, and he treated me wonderfully, and I think the interview reflects that. Uh, some of the interesting points with Bledsoe, he talked about uh, his favorite games slash plays, uh, no surprise, the AFC title game, where he came in off the bench when Tom Brady was hurt. Uh, they won the game. He uh, had an extraordinary touchdown pass to David Patton in that game, and that was one of his high points. Another was uh, the Fog Bowl versus the Steelers, and I believe 1997 I was there. It was incredible. Bledsoe said it was the loudest he ever heard the stadium, that he literally felt the ground shake and thought that the fog almost acted like a roof to keep the sound in, like a dome would. Uh, so it was pretty interesting. He talked about winning uh, when he played those games with his broken finger, a couple of which he won on last-minute passes. And then... Needless to say, in the game I really remember is uh, his record-breaking game at the time versus the Vikings, where he was 45 for 70 for 426 yards in 1994 at the old Foxborough Stadium, won it with an overtime pass to Kevin Turner. And how ironic is it that the very week that Drew Bledsoe is inducted into the Hall of Fame is the week that Tom Brady broke that record on Monday night with 517 passing yards. So suffice it to say, uh, I'm a big Drew Bledsoe fan, and he made the early years of my being a season ticket holder in the 1990s wonderful. He was the show, trust me. And uh, he's now living in the Pacific Northwest, where he's from. He has four kids, three sons and a daughter. And in addition to his wine industry, he's coaching flag football. And a youngster in the audience yesterday asked him... Uh, what advice he would have for a young football player, and his, his, his advice I thought was interesting, and uh, 
classic Drew Bledsoe, which was simply be coachable. Bledsoe was always coachable, and he was simply a great player who well deserves entering the Patriots Hall of Fame this weekend. And now, as my former co-host, Lemont Williams from Outside the Huddle, likes to say, it's time to pay some bills, so let's take our break. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Do you love sports talk? Can't get enough sports talk? Have we got a show for you. It's about the NFL training camps, Super Bowl previews, a look at the new starting quarterbacks, and weekly key injuries. We'll take your calls and emails right on the air. Former Philadelphia Eagle James Loving is your host, and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot. Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific time 3 p.m eastern time on the voice america sports channel your internet flagship station for sports voice america sports you're listening to all around sports with your host john inglesby become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144 that's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Voice America, welcome back to segment two of All Around Sports. And to join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144. Or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And it's that time of the show when we have guests joining us and back by popular demand from last week's first appearance on All Around Sports uh, is A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine, who last week uh, was in the car on the way to Happy Valley to cover the Penn State-Alabama game. And A.P., how was it? Oh, it was a very, very uh, enjoyable experience. The people at in Happy Valley, they're so hospitable, and the Alabama fan, fans flooded the stadium. They were dotted all over the whiteout with their crimson, and uh, it was a very great experience for all the Alabama people and, and the team. Of course, they had their first road victory with the young quarterback. Indeed, they did, and yes, I couldn't help but notice a lot of crimson uh, mixed in with the whiteout at uh at Happy Valley, and and how was the crowd in general, and the whiteout specifically? What was that like to see? Yeah, they were loud initially. I mean, Penn State had that opening drive. I think it was 16 plays, and uh, they did score with a field goal, so they were all charged up and really into the game. Um, so, uh, you know, Alabama, uh, they have those scripted plays in the beginning, Penn State. So, if you can get get through those scripted plays. Um, and make some adjustments, and your defense usually will come around. But uh, Alabama kind of befuddled them to start the game, and so the crowd was loud. And But they were, uh, you know, personable to everyone who's walking around the stadium before the game. And Alabama people, they just love to come up to Penn State. Oh, that's great to hear. Well, I, I grew up in central Pennsylvania right near Penn State, as you know, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that they're as hospitable now as they were when I was growing up, and uh, I think it's a it's a Pennsylvania thing. And you remember last week on the show, I said that I thought the Alabama quarterback uh, 
was going to have trouble to start the game, uh, given he had never played in an atmosphere quite like that, not unlike a year ago when the Penn State quarterback had lots of trouble at the beginning of the game down in Tuscaloosa. I think my theory was probably right, certainly for the first series, maybe for the beginning of the second series, but uh, Alabama was clearly the more talented team and was going to win that game. Nonetheless, you know, I thought that, you know, if they could have made a play, they might have made it a little closer. If they could have made a play in that first or maybe the second series of the game, they let them off the hook. A.J. McCarron, who played great, and once they, once they did and he broke through, that was it. You know, it was uh, jailbreak time. Yeah, Penn State started the game. They threw a long pass the first play of the game. and he, uh, The receiver beat the two Alabama defenders, and the quarterback put it right on his hands, and he just slipped through his fingers. That could have really excited the crowd. But uh, as you say, it slipped away. And a couple of times during the game, when Penn State was mounting a drive, Alabama intercepted the ball one time, yep. and then they forced a fumble on another time. So that took away two other opportunities. But uh, A.J. McCarron, he passed that big test. Two, two words come to mind. He was poised and very efficient as the game progressed. And you could actually see him growing with each series. Uh, John, when you watched him, he had that gunslinger mentality. I think I told you that last week, but he managed the game. He, he threw those uh, underneath passes and let his receivers run with the football. But a time or two, you saw him throw down that middle to Marquise Mays, number four, I think it was a 29-yard pass, and he has a rocket arm, you know, a good accuracy, and then he threaded the needle for one of the touchdowns to that tight end between those two linebackers. Uh, so he's got a good arm, and he, he moves well in the pocket, and he has a good presence, and he steps away from the pressure. And overall, uh, Nick Saban was very pleased with how he performed. Uh, just one critical point from my perspective he the ball was tipped about let's say four or five times and aj's about six three six four it probably shouldn't happen so he'll probably uh, correct that in practice practice this week yes well uh i agree with all your observations uh you were there and you know it came across on television but i'm sure it came across even more being there uh indeed poison efficient uh like his predecessor Greg McElroy. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, Alabama's going to do well with him this year. Penn State, on the other hand, clearly has quarterback issues, but uh, I, I don't think Alabama does. And uh, I think they're just a great team. The defense lived up to its, uh, its billing as pro- not probably, I think, obviously, the best defense in the country, nine of 11 starters returning from last year, if I'm not mistaken. And they look uh, they look awesome, and they got stronger as the game went on. They did. I think there was one stretch of plays, John, four or five, where the Alabama defensive back touched the ball. Every player almost made a couple of interceptions. It was like you were watching a replay from the previous one. Uh, and, the, you know, Alabama had good pressure, although I don't believe they had any sacks. Uh, one thing Nick Saban mentioned on his radio show this week, by the third game, you, you tend to evaluate your depth. So he's looking for more people to push the pocket in the middle. And if you push the pocket in the middle, of course, your quarterback has trouble making throws down the center of the field, which is where you're trying to protect. So you're going to push the quarterback to the side or at least throw the ball to the side, and you can uh, use your boundary as an extra defender. So he he might bring up some younger guys, you know, take the red shirt off to help that 
that push up the middle. But overall, he's he's pretty pleased with the way the defense played. He wasn't happy that they scored at the end and got that long pass down near the goal line for that final score. But overall, he was he was satisfied. I would think so. Again, very impressive to come in there and uh, win an early a game early in the season in Happy Valley like they did. But that was not the only game you attended over the weekend. And in fact, you saw a better game, if you will, uh, certainly a more exciting ending, because uh, you attended the Jets-Cowboys opener on Sunday night at the new MetLife Stadium in New Jersey. And how was that? I was thinking of you as I watched that game. Yeah, that stadium, I'll just talk about the stadium first. It's breathtaking. Uh, I, I was there very early, so I got a chance to just absorb all the new construction in the press box and it's a delightful place to watch a game. Uh, you know, the Jets, that's a special game for them because it was a commemoration of the 9-11 events. So it was emotional. I mean, I spoke to um, my good friend Marty Lyons. He does the radio for the New York Jets. And during the broadcast, he kind of got emotional just talking about that day 10 years ago. And uh, But I think the ceremony was, was uh, you know, wasn't overblown, but it was respectful. And, yep. uh, you know, the people really, uh, you know, enjoyed being there who, who had an opportunity to uh, attend. Uh, the Jets, for some reason, the first game of the season, they always have their troubles, and it's kind of amplified. But uh, on the other side, uh, uh, Tony Romo, he has this propensity to give away the ball at the end of the game, and the Jets happen to take advantage and, and win in the end. But uh, Dallas had that game all the way, really. Absolutely. Uh, the ending, again, was just incredible, uh, you know, between the punt block for the touchdown, uh, right? You know, I mean, the Jets were dead in the water, let's face it, to open that yeah. fourth quarter. There was that. There was the Revis interception. And then, you know, I think just for the visual, uh, you know, there was Romo not being ready for that final snap of the game and the ball just sort of bouncing off his chest, which was, again, more of a visual than, uh, you know, an important play since, you know, he was up against it at that moment. But, uh, well, that sounds great. I'm glad you got to attend that. And uh, I'm glad to hear about the new stadium. I've driven by it, have not been in attendance for a game, but I'm certainly hoping to get there sooner rather than later. And it's good to hear your opinion because it does look awesome from uh, from the New Jersey highway that I drove by on, that's for sure. It is. It's really beautiful. And another... Uh, thing I got to do when I was there, I spoke to Greg McElroy, former Alabama quarterback sure. uh, who won the national championship, and his dad was there because he is the vice president of sales and marketing for the Cowboys. So Greg was in a cast. He had dislocated his thumb and tore some ligaments uh, during the last preseason game against the Philadelphia Eagles. But he's, he's enjoying his time and learning the system, and he's actually uh, watching the games in Manhattan with the Alabama alumni. There's a few places downtown that they frequent. Oh, that's great. Uh, Penn State has a few of those places, too. Uh, a lot of those places sprinkled throughout the country, as I'm sure Alabama does. And I've done it once or twice, and it is uh, a lot of fun, to say the least. Next right. best thing to be in there. It sure is. But uh, well, you and I are, again, uh, we're pretty lucky guys because, uh, as I mentioned to you during the break, uh, as soon as the show ends today, I am jumping into my car and 
heading down I-95 to Connecticut, where I am covering tonight's uh, WNBA playoff opener between the uh, Connecticut Sun and the Atlanta Dream at the Mohegan Sun Arena. And I covered the Mohegan or the Connecticut Sun before. Uh, a month or two ago, I went to regular season game and enjoyed it immensely. Very impressed, and uh, said to myself, "I am absolutely getting back for the per- first playoff game to cover it, and I will be there." And you are also going to be in Connecticut, where you're head, to, where you're located, and uh, you're going to be covering something interesting too. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, um, uh, I'm going to go up to the Connecticut versus Iowa State game. And I'm looking forward. I always try to attend one of those games every year. The folks in, at the University of Connecticut have been very kind to me. And uh, my interest, uh, I want to talk to hopefully both athletic directors, just about college athletics in general. Uh, Iowa State's a member of the Big 12, and that is kind of a fluid situation right now with Texas A&M looking to the east to come to the Southeastern Conference. And, uh, you know, some of the conferences are also interested in, in, in paying the cost of attendance to the athletes. So I'd be also uh, speaking to maybe the athletic director of Connecticut, maybe ask him about how the, his university feels and if they're in agreement, you know, the total, all the Big East, all their members of paying that money to the student athletes. So there's always something to find out when you attend a game and meet new people and uh, you get a different perspective. Absolutely, AP. And, uh, I covered the Big East Football Media Day down at uh, Newport, Rhode Island, back in August, and uh, you know interviewed a uh, number of UConn players, and of course the new coach, and you know was just very impressed. I myself uh, am hoping to go to a UConn game to cover it this year, and uh, frankly, it was a tough ch- tough decision. Um, you know, I knew I knew certainly about the UConn game tonight, and. Uh, but I decided to go with the uh, with the Sun, given having already been there uh, a couple months ago. And but I think you're going to see a great game, Iowa State. I mean, they uh, they're two and zero, if I'm not mistaken, and they won just a huge, exciting game on Sunday, where they beat, of course, their arch rival Iowa. And uh, it was like they won the BCS National Championship. They went crazy, and I guess they won. There's a, a trophy that the winner of the game gets, and but they couldn't get it in their hands fast enough. I mean, that was really one of the highlight endings of uh, of the year. I think it was overtime uh, type game. Yes, I, I, one of the questions I, I had, I wanted to ask the athletic director: Is he happy to be in a conference not with Iowa, so they play that game early, and that rivalry doesn't fester during the season like the Alabama Auburn game? That is a great question because I, as I'm watching this, I, I literally thought to myself. This is interesting uh, that these two rival schools play this early in the season for this trophy. Right. And so uh, great minds think alike, I guess. <laughs> I don't know about that. But this uh, end of it, I know you, got, you have the great mind. I know that, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. You're too kind. Um, all right. Well, AP, I'm afraid we're bumping up against our break, but I just want to thank you again for – Coming on for the second week in a row, your insight has been tremendous. Uh, Alabama, Penn State, or Jets, Cowboys, uh, you bring you know a lot to the table, and I really enjoyed having you. And 
rest assured it won't be the last time i'll be uh i'll be in touch to ask you to come on in the future well thank you very much john you've been very kind to me appreciate it you're welcome ap enjoy tonight and i look forward to talking to you again very soon okay john take care now safe travel you too and uh once again it's time to take our break and uh joining us next will be our weekly call-in expert barry rubenstein from the new york post Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Super Bowl champ Lionel Dalton is taking to the internet airwaves with his own brand of sports talk. You'll go inside the mind of the players and find out if blacklisting really happens, what their thoughts are on training camps, where the former NFL players are now, and why being drafted by the wrong NFL team can kill a promising player's career. Lionel will also cover what's up with the Baltimore Ravens. Tune in to Sports Talk with Lionel Dalton live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Voice America, welcome back to segment three of All Around Sports. And to join the show, the call-in number is one 888 Three four six nine one four four, or you can email me at i i r at comcast dot net. And with us we have Barry Rubenstein. And Barry, how you doing today? I'm doing well, John. Yourself? Couldn't be better. Couldn't be better. I was saying at the top of the show that fall has officially arrived today in New England with temperatures in the sixties, mm-hmm. sunny football weather. Yeah, I mean, funny it was uh, yesterday. It was almost like uh, kind of like uh, the last throes of summer. It was kind of kind of humid, kind of warm, and overnight it's like the, the temperature just felt like thirty degrees. And then this morning it was like, okay, it is. I guess it's fall. So, uh, so yeah, perfect timing. Uh, you know, as uh, as we get into the second week of the NFL season and uh, college football is kicking in and and everything else. Uh, although I think uh, I think in New York. Uh, from the New York point of view, I, I think the big story is not so much what's going on with the Yankees, but as far as uh, who the Yankees may play in the ALCS, which revolves back up to uh, either the Red Sox or the Tampa Bay Rays. And, uh, you know, everybody's kind of watching what's going on with the Rays and the Red Sox with, uh, you know, obviously quite a bit of interest in New York, uh, as well as everywhere else, uh, you know, I would think the mood in in Boston right now is uh, a little, little tenuous to say the least. After, especially after what happened last night. So uh, <laughs> tenuous would be a good word. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I would. So. I would say that uh, nobody's standing on the bridge yet, ready to jump off. That could come tomorrow. That could come tonight around midnight if they lose tonight. But I would say that uh, there's some people gassing up their cars, getting ready today to drive to the bridges. Uh, it is really 
it's on the verge of panic would be the way I would say it. Uh, it's amazing to see because we all thought we had left those bad old days behind us, uh, uh, you know, since 2004. But uh, they're they're back, and there is again uh, a palpable. Uh, panic feeling in the air. Uh, Dan Shaughnessy wrote about it this morning in the Boston Globe. And uh, nervous would be an understatement. Panic would be an overstatement. But we're we're, we're just uh, one one rung below panic here. Yeah, I would think if um, if uh, if the Rays find a way to beat uh, Josh Beckett tonight and knock it down to two games, then you, you might see those uh, the DEFCON levels go up a little bit. But it's funny, you know. Um, you know, when you when you have things happen like happened last night, you know, like the uh, the broken bat single uh, involving Marcos Scudero, you know, obviously you can't can't blame him for, for that kind of play. But you know, then you have Joe Madden talking about uh, you know the baseball gods having their say, and you know, once you start getting you know getting momentum involved, and you know, uh, momentum going one way and not going the other way, um, as we've seen many times in the past, you know, down the stretch, you know, teams either. Uh, taking advantage of that momentum or being on the wrong end of it, you know that 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 could uh, that could have a huge say as to what happened um, over the last three weeks of the regular season. Um, you know, also the, the Yankees are going to have a big say as to what happens as well, since they have series upcoming against both Tampa Bay and Boston. So, you know, I think by you know certainly by the, by next weekend, we'll have a pretty clear picture as to what's going on. But in the meantime. Um, yeah, I, I think the, the I think the Red Sox have to kind of shore up their defense and kind of take a breath because you know as you said it's it's not quite panic time yet but uh, you know another loss and, and it may very very well be. Meanwhile, Tampa Bay's pitching has really come together. The Red Sox pitching has gone the other way, so you, know, you seemingly have two teams going in opposite directions, and it's uh, it's going to be up to Beckett tonight. To be the stopper and stop the bleeding and 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 you know kind of quell those notions of uh, of an impending collapse uh, at Fenway Park, I think. Well, absolutely. And uh, for the listeners who did not see the play last night, if the Red Sox lose, blow this lead, that play last night will be uh, replayed over and over in the Red Sox Hall of Shame. And what it was was simply. Uh, uh, a grounder to shortstop that would have ended the inning. The bat literally followed the broke. It followed the ball, and you know the the fielder, shortstop Marco Scudero, was literally had two things coming at him: bat, at broken bat, and ball, right at him. And no fielder alive, including Cal Ripken, could ever have fielded that ball, given the bat was right with it. And uh, and next, needless to say, next player up, Evan Longoria, three-run homer, game over. And uh, so, you know, yes, there is that feeling that the baseball gods are frowning upon the Red Sox. And again, if they blow it, that play is going to be remembered as when it really began to fall apart. Uh, but I think it's great the Rays and the Red Sox are playing. I mean, you know, let's get this settled head-to-head. The Rays swept them last week in... Tampa last weekend, and uh, here they are in Fenway Park. Uh, you know where the Red Sox play better. No surprise. And uh, let's let's kind of settle it on the field. Not that anything's going to happen or be decided come Sunday, even if the Rays sweep them. But uh, but they're head to head, and boy, right now Tampa Bay is certainly getting the best of that. 
yeah, I mean, they're, they're certainly looking pretty good. All cylinders are going the right way. You know, uh, it's funny. You know, it, it, you talk about, you know, Red, Red Sox, you know, a wall of shame, but, you know, you really can't blame blame Scooter. I mean, what are the oh, chances of a ball in the back in there exactly at the same time? And, you know, as you said, you know, no, nobody's going to be able to make that play, and it's just the, the way things fall. But, uh, you know, certainly, you know, Red Sox are still up. You know, they're still ahead, so it's, it's they're still in control, you know, of destiny and their fate. So, but they just have to make sure that they they stay in that position as long and as long as they're ahead, as long as they lead. You know, no, nobody's going to remember any of this if if the Red Sox, you know, do finish ahead of the Rays in the standings and win the wild card, then they're in the playoffs. Nobody's even talking about this anymore. So, you know, uh, it's, uh, it it, it kind of is a day by day proposition, and uh, we'll see what happens tonight. So, uh, you know, certainly by by this weekend, we'll, whether the fear factor is is higher or lower in Boston, uh, we'll have a have a direct uh, direct uh, response to uh, what happens tonight, what happens over the weekend, for sure. Well, correct you are, Barry, and you know, in a strange way, it's good. Number one, uh, as you and I have talked about in the in the past uh, this summer on this show, uh, you know, the buzz with the Red Sox has been steadily declining over the past few years, and frankly. Before this all started about two, three weeks ago, meaning the Rays come back and the Red Sox collapse, uh, the buzz, uh, I mean, baseball wasn't on anybody's mind, and now it's sort of back, maybe for all the wrong reasons from a Red Sox point of view, but at least it's back as a point of discussion. It's relevant. It wasn't relevant as recently as two to three weeks ago whatsoever, and if the Rays somehow pull it off, what would be just a historic comeback by any standard, um, it would be, you know, it would help lift Tampa's franchise in Tampa, whereas we all know, you know, they've got issues. So, you, you know, there, there actually is a, a bit of a benefit for both teams, potentially, uh, you know, as a result of simply the two teams drawing closer and playing each other head-to-head. So it's, it's good for... Good for each team, yeah. and frankly, good for good for baseball to yeah. again be yeah. somewhat relevant, or certainly more than they were at the end of August. Right. Well, I mean, you always. I mean, when, you know, we're, at the end of the day, all of us, you know, uh, all of us that, that that work in the work in the sports field, no matter what we do—newspapers, radio, what have you—we're all sports fans, and we, you you want to see the best teams win, and you want to see competition. You want to see the top two teams. You know, uh, in a playoff race, go at it head to head. Yeah, that's what you want to see, and that's what we're seeing right now. I mean, you know, uh, it, 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 history has told us that you know it, it, it does happen. The team in front doesn't always they, they don't they don't always go wire to wire. I mean, we saw the I guess the other the, the, the historic uh, a couple of historic ones. I mean, you go going way back to 1951 before uh, Bobby Thompson's shot heard around the world. I mean, you know, the the, the Giants make up a huge deficit on the on the Dodgers. Then we go back to the 1964, the, the 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 colossal fall of the Phillies. You go back a few years, just a few years ago, uh, the Mets having a seven and a half game lead with 19 to play, and then the Phillies coming, you know, come roaring down the stretch, knocking the Mets out of the playoffs. So, you know, it it, it, it has happened many times. So, you know, it, it and when you get have 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 a confluence like that, you know, it's gonna it's gonna uh, build interest, um, you know, especially. Since you know, a couple weeks back, we were all talking about the beginning of the NFL season after the lockout. We were talking about you know the NBA uh, labor situation, which quite frankly gets worse by the day. 
So there are a lot of other things on the landscape, you know, you know maybe taking attention away from, from baseball because, you know, you get into that kind of dog day stretch of the baseball season. But, well, we're past that now. We're officially in September. Uh, we're, we're in the home stretch. And, you know, naturally the interest is going to probably maybe move back away from football just a little bit, keeping a closer eye on the pennant races. And then that's where we are right now. So, uh, you know, with every day that goes by, every, you know, they always say every game is more important than the one you just played. So that, that's certainly the case uh, for the Red Sox and for Tampa and for everybody else that's, you know, that's in a pennant race. So, you know, that'll be the focus now. Um, you know, until the regular season ends, and then uh, you know, on, on on Sundays we on Saturdays and Sundays we switch to um, college football in the NFL, and then during the week it's like, hey, what's going on in the pennant races? That, that's just the nature of the game. That's the way it goes. So uh, it's time to enjoy yep. it. It's time to really you know sink our teeth into it. I think. I agree, Barry. And as we close into our break here, uh, let me just say, you know, t- regarding the Phillies roaring back against the Mets. Uh, that is what basically launched what is now the current version of the Phillies. Clearly the World Series favorite, I think. And uh, So, yeah, so these, these are great things. And uh, with that said, we'll take our break. Uh, and joining us on the other side, sticking around, fortunately, is, is Barry. So we'll catch you on the other side. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. The Sports Mavericks Show redefines the elite athlete by bridging the gap between parents, athletes, and the community. Host Ida Moyer, a.k.a. the Oprah of Sports, brings to the Voice America Network original programming, balancing the pursuit of academic excellence and sports participation. The Sports Mavericks Show airs every Tuesday evening at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Listeners will be engaged in straightforward talk, spontaneous and unscripted by the experts. Ida and her guests will explore the challenges of success and failure in sports and will help athletes and their parents navigate the transition from high school, college, and then on to the pros. We put fun back into sports and recognize role models in sports through our Sports Mavericks All-Star Award Program. Tune in Tuesday evenings at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time with Ida Mouillet and the Sports Mavericks Show right here on The Voice. Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1 888 346 9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to IIR at Comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Voice America, welcome back to the fourth and final segment of All Around Sports. And still with us for his second straight segment is our weekly call-in expert, Barry Rubenstein from the New York Post. And Barry, I think we just uh, covered some baseball and now let's cover a little football, and my first question to you, knowing you're working in New York at the Post, is what is the fallout from the Giants' loss to the Redskins uh, on opening Sunday last week? It was, it was pretty ugly, to be honest. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I think that the, you know, the, the, the Redskins have always traditionally, you know, the last several years anyway, have been a team that the Giants have traditionally 
handled. Um, you know, they've usually had the Redskins number, but uh, you know, it was it was a little surprising you know, for the Giants to come out the way they did, uh, not getting very much done on offense. I mean, we kind of we kind of knew that the defense might be an issue because of all the injuries, but you know, uh, we kind of expected the offense to be a little more fluid. I, I do think that uh, there might be some um, some chemistry problems on the offensive line. Um, you know, the Giants have been. Have had the fortune, the good fortune of having pretty much the same, the same guys on the offensive line for the past several years. The same five units, you know, pretty healthy for the most part. Um, but you know, you right before the season started, right after the lockout ended, um, the Giants cut uh, Sean O'Hara, the center, and Rich Soybert, guard, both of whom have been stalwarts of that line. Um, now, granted, both were hurt. Granted, both may not have played. For a while this year, probably would, both would have stayed, would have opened the season on the pup list. But you know, you still have two guys that really, you know, were were really in sync uh, on that offensive line, especially the center position. And I don't think that this can be understated enough. I mean, the, the Giants did go out uh, and sign uh, David Boss from the, the 49ers, and he's a very good center. And I think he's played he's, he's played okay so far, but. You know, I don't. I, I I think that 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 Eli Manning looks uncomfortable back there. He just doesn't look like he's totally in sync. Uh, you know, he's always had a penchant for kind of throwing off the back foot, maybe looking a little awkward at times. Um, but I, I don't think he's totally comfortable back there, and I don't think the line is totally in sync. And this is going to be a problem moving forward. Um, you know, I think. You know, it's uh, you know it, it's a little early in the season to be talking about must wins and, and games you got to win, but. I think the Giants are looking at their their next game Monday night against the Rams uh, at MetLife Stadium uh, to be a game that they they pretty much have to win because uh, their their early season schedule is pretty favorable. But once they get past Thanksgiving, it's deadly. It's absolutely brutal. Um, so you know if they're gonna if they're gonna do anything at all this year, I think they need to really kind of get things straightened out in a hurry. I'm, I'm not sure that they can. Uh, you know, but uh, you know they got a shot of. of at least getting back on the right foot against the Rams. Um, hopefully, they're hoping that Justin Tuck will be able to play. They're hoping that Akeem Nix will be able to play. So, if they can get those two guys back, they'll, they'll, they'll stabilize things a bit. But uh, not the, the the overall prospects for the Giants are not very good, unfortunately. No, that was really surprising. I watched the majority of that game uh, mixed in with, of course, uh, NFL Red Zone, and Eli did not look comfortable. I agree, and um, especially the, the the batted pass that resulted in a touchdown, the turning point of that game, clearly. And then, uh, yeah, just losing to Rex Grossman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, please, yeah, Rex looks pretty good, but you know, I think the Giants made him look pretty good, and. Uh, I think there's some issues down in New York, and uh, you know, the next topic I want to cover is uh, the Notre Dame-Michigan game. I mean, I've watched a lot of college football in my day, but I don't know if I can ever remember three touchdowns in the final minute, twelve seconds, and against the backdrop of the first night game ever at the Big House, uh, and clearly the most the loudest Michigan crowd I can ever remember seeing, and I thought it was spectacular theater. Yeah, I think I, I think you, know, you were talking about instant classics. I think you got one right there. And and the thing that 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 impressed me most about the end of that game was the play right before the uh, 
the touchdown, the final second, the mission score, that, that pass that, that um, when, when the quarterback was in trouble, kind of moving out of the pocket, throwing down, the, throwing on the right sideline, that receiver, there was not enough, he was the only man in the screen. There was not a Notre Dame defender within 15 yards of him. And then he cuts back and runs all the way down the field. It was amazing to me. That, that, that obviously had to be a blown assignment because it was amazing to me how open he was uh, along the right sideline. And then just turning on the Jets and sprinting down the other side of the field and cutting back. And that, what a tremendous play that was. And I think of, of, of all the plays down the stretch in that game, that's the one that impressed me the most. And, and I, was wonder, I was watching that game thinking, where did he come from and when, where's the defense? You know, certainly uh, uh, you know, Mr. Kelly is under some heat in the – in South Bend, so we'll, we'll see if they can write the ship this week. But yeah, that was that was a tremendous game. That was that was a great one to watch. Absolutely, I agree. And the play and the play you're talking about, remember it well. And to me, it was all the more shocking because on the previous series, when Notre Dame had the ball after Michigan had taken the lead on the series before that, there was a Notre Dame guy caught a very similar ball. Only guy on the screen, wide right. open. Nobody around them, and you know everybody's looking at that play in disbelief. You're thinking, you know, that's not only a once a game possibility, let alone the end of a game. That is a, in a way, almost like a once a season. You know, when you're uh, trying to come back to win a game in the final minute or two. Right. So to have it happen on back-to-back series as both being the key plays in what were first the go-ahead touchdown for Notre Dame and then the winning touchdown for Michigan was. Uh, Again, just nothing short of remarkable. And, uh, you know, we're starting to bump up against the end of the show here, Barry. And, uh, you know, it should be another great weekend. I mean, college football is just riveting. And uh, I I think tomorrow's Oklahoma-Florida State game is going to be must-see TV as, frankly, Florida State returns to the big time. Yeah. um, You know, it's certainly their opportunity to do that. that, that that should be a lot of fun to watch. I agree, and uh, you know we'll see we'll see how far up to the big time that they've uh, they've been able to uh, to reach back. That that should be a great game. Oh yeah, yeah. I saw a show on Oklahoma football, a documentary on ESPN, I believe, and uh, you know just the behind the scenes Oklahoma, you know, training camp in August, and it was just really terrific. And watching Bob Stoops was interesting. Uh, Bob Stoops has come up a few times in the past to be with Bill Belichick at Patriots training camp during July and August. And, uh, yeah, I I just find him to be an interesting guy. So I think that's going to be a great game. And, Barry, I'm afraid we got to bring it to a close. But finally, uh, you know, for my picks of the weekend for appointment viewing, uh, number one, of course, is uh, the Patriots-Chargers game at Gillette Stadium, 4.15 p.m. Sunday, the home opener. I will be there, as I am for most Patriot home games, and uh, looking forward to that. And let's also remember uh, to tune in to you know, the next-to-last event of the FedEx Cup playoffs, which is the BMW Championship from Cog Hill Golf and Country Club near Chicago. Uh, so, Barry, I just want to thank you again for calling in, taking the time to join us and share your expertise. And... Uh, We'll look forward to having you again next week where we'll have a whole lot more football and maybe some baseball to discuss. Always a pleasure, John. Thanks. Thank you, Barry. And uh, as always, Voice America, thank you for listening to All Around Sports and have a great weekend. And we look forward to doing it all again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. (laughs) 
Thanks again for tuning in to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a terrific weekend, and we'll talk sports again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.